Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 59 of the We Are Speaking Podcast. During each weekly 30-minute episode, we address some of our favorite topics, including American history and culture, government, education, and politics from a Black perspective. We are very glad you're joining us today. The podcast is brought to you by our company, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. We offer branding and marketing services, including valuable ebooks, online training, and small group coaching to independent writers and creative and solo professionals. You can find out more at our website, TeamOwens313GCC.com. As a free or paid subscriber to the We Are Speaking publication, you can access the podcast episodes through the website or on your favorite podcast player. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. My name is Pamela Hilliard-Owens, and I am one of the co-hosts of We Are Speaking, in partnership with my husband and business partner, Keith Owens, who also wrote and performed the intro and outro music for the podcast. And speaking of Keith, here he is. Hi, Keith. Good to be here once again. Okay. On our Tuesday, August 22nd substack for the American History topic, I detailed the Oko... Oko... Okoe... Okoe, Okoe, Florida Race Massacre. I had to practice how to say that. Okoe. Many people had not even heard of that incident. Of course, with states like Florida, Texas, Arkansas, and others who are working to completely whitewash African American history, it is incumbent upon us to ensure that the true history of America, including the bad parts, is taught and exposed. So this week, we are presenting a list of race massacres in America of the 19th and 20th centuries. Many people have heard of this one, the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. The cause of it, the massacre was sparked by an incident involving a black man and a white woman in an elevator. False accusations, racial tensions, and economic resentment fueled that violence. The outcome of the Tulsa Race Massacre... The Greenwood District, known as Black Wall Street, was completely destroyed. An estimated 300 black people were killed and thousands were left homeless. The massacre has had a lasting impact on the economic and social development of the black community, especially in Oklahoma. Yeah, and I want to add with that real quick. It's an interesting note. Uh, some people who are listening may know, but this this particular uh, tragedy, many people came to know about the Tulsa Race Massacre from this uh, sci-fi uh, black uh, reimagined uh, mm-hmm. series called Watchmen, which, right. which is just a, a sci-fi comic book from years, a decade, years, years ago. But it was reimagined with a mm-hmm. all black cast, okay. and the, and it opened. With that, right. uh, and it, it was phenomenal. It only lasted one season, but a lot of people came to know about the Tulsa race massacre through that because when they saw that whole scene, imagining what had happened mm-hmm. and with and the, the way in which that took place, right. and people were wondering that when they found out that this had actually happened, mm-hmm. um, it was just a phenomenal thing. Entering on the the next, Wait, sure. on. we're calling each of these massacres, and because that's exactly what they were, and talking about whitewashing until just the last couple of years, white people called them race riots and tried to blame the black people, at least partially, for blaming the victim and blaming the black people as partially responsible for them. And what we are doing and what has been happening in the last few years, we are renaming them to what they actually were, massacres. Okay, number two. Right, right. No, that's that's extremely important because that's that fits into what's happening in Florida. Everything is is when I talk about reimagining, but it's just just completely changing history and and words matter. Mm -hmm. 
the Okoe. next yeah, Okoe, right, exactly. <laughs> get the right pronunciation. The Okoe massacre in nineteen twenty. The cause was a black man named Julius July Perry who attempted to vote, which and he just his attempt to vote led, led to a white mob attacking the black community in Okoe, Florida. The mob target targeted black homes, businesses, and churches. The outcome of this was that the violence resulted in the deaths of an unknown number of black residents and the destruction of their properties. Many black residents were forced to flee, and the incident led to the suppression of black voting rights in the area for decades. In addition to this, when the black people fled from Okoe, they left their land, the land that they had had for years and decades, and the white people came in and and uh, through eminent domain, put that land in the hands of the city council or the county or whatever, and then resold it to white people for pennies on the dollar. Right. So not only did they lose their rights, they lost their land, and the land, ended up, which was, of course, was very valuable, ended up in the hands of white people for nothing. And we, and it's interesting to note, actually infuriating to note, that when you talk about terms such as eminent domain, eminent domain does not appear does not apply to areas like Beverly Hills in California. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it does not apply to Gross Point in Michigan. It does, uh, eminent domain almost exclusively right. applies to lowering, usually not, almost always, if it's white people, it's very poor white people. Right. I mean, but it's almost exclusively black and brown people. Who's and neighbor, Native. And, and Native American people who's and they, all the way from New York, where Bob Moses was was responsible for wiping out neighborhoods from mm-hmm. his freeways to you know, obviously Native uh, Native people mm-hmm. who had their lands taken. Right. And land is, is, and land is the issue. As right, right. So often, because p- the black people knew that was the one thing about post-slavery was that, with the, that was the four acres and a mule. I right. mean, having lands, because black people, we knew that to, right. at least to have your own land, right. you, could, you could farm, you could create, was your, so white people knew if we let them have the land, they have control and they right. have power. Not only do they have control and, and power, but that, that wiped out decades of black generational wealth. Right. Okay. And, and we're going to talk about that somewhere, you know, in other places, but keep in mind that when you're looking at the wealth, the the wealth and in, uh, wealth inequality, that comes from decades, right. decades of erasing the opportunity for Black generational wealth, which which of course it, we're still having those effects today. Right. Remember, mm-hmm. landowners were the ones who could vote. Right. Too. And, right. And who didn't have land? Women didn't have land. Right. And Black people didn't, didn't have land. Right. So that's, what, right. so that's that's the other thing about taking the land away. Go right. Ahead. Okay. Number three in 1917, the East St. Louis massacre. It was caused because of economic competition for jobs. When and, was it? Oh, I said 1917. Yeah. Okay. Uh, economic competition for jobs and racial tensions, which escalated after a white factory worker accused black workers of taking their jobs. And then there was a rumor that a black man killed a white man, which further fueled the violence. And then the outcome, the violence resulted in the deaths of an estimated 100 to 200 black people and, again, the destruction of black homes, churches, and businesses. Thousands of black residents were displaced, and the incident, as we said, highlighted racial inequality and economic inequality and discrimination. Mm -hmm. And and now, a word from our sponsor. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by our company, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. We offer branding and marketing services, including valuable ebooks, online training, and small group coaching to independent writers and creative and solo professionals. And you can find out more at our website, teamowens313gcc.com. Right. And the next one, hold on just a second. 
Okay. The uh, Colfax Massacre, which occurred in 1873. Let's see here. Uh, the cause was the... Sorry, I'm having problems here. Uh, okay, now the cause, the massacre, the massacre followed a disputed gubernatorial election in Louisiana, where white supremacist groups targeted black communities and their political allies. A white mob attacked the courthouse where black residents were defending their rights. The, the outcome was that more than 100 black people were killed, including those who, who surrendered. The ma ma massacre marked, I'm sorry. The massacre marked a turning point in Reconstruction as federal authorities failed to protect black citizens and white supremacists regained political power. And I would uh, note that it's all it's it's always about you know it's usually it's about two things: either power, political power, mm -hmm. and and when when black people and brown people were trying to trying to gain some kind of political power and white people couldn't stand for that, or it has to do with. Uh, not really, but a white woman is involved. Right, where you know, right, Where they right. say yeah, some white woman was touched. Right, or, that's what or, happened or, with or, if Tulsa. In Tulsa, right. right. Fosliaki's days, and they, you know, some man was in an elevator, and they screamed. Well, that's and, you know, what happened in Tulsa. Tulsa right. um, I, I, the, the, the story is is that the uh, elevator where the man was going to go up to his, his where he worked in a higher floor in a building, and the elevator operator was a white woman. And so as he was stepping onto the elevator, the elevator jolted, and he, you know, he... Just held on to her, didn't hold on to her arm. He touched her arm just to steady himself. Just the fact that he touched, touched her. that white woman's arm by accident is what started that whole the Tulsa whole race. Right, exactly. Right. And also the young boy who was killed, who, said, who, who was whistling at the white woman. Oh, right. Emmett Till. Emmett Till. Right. Yeah, you know, once again. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's this whole thing about white womanhood. Right, you know, right. If, if I still have, but never forget the memory of one um, of the few times I, I visited Mississippi, and I was at I was at Ole Miss right. for for a conference, mm -hmm. and and there was an elderly Old Miss Mississippi uh, yeah uh, university, university, university right so Mississippi, Mississippi which is called, called Ole Miss, Ole Miss. and and I was walking by and I was going to one of the uh, conference events and I was walk and I happened to be walking behind an, an an elderly black man and a young white student female was was coming in our direction mm -hmm. and I'm picking nothing of it and mm -hmm. I'm walking and this and this man and this literally mm -hmm. and, and this is night like maybe 1987 something mm -hmm. I mean it was something along those lines this man who had to be 85 mm -hmm. somewhere in that neighborhood got off the sidewalk you know, and bowed his head until this young white girl passed him. Oh, she shoot. couldn't have been more than seventeen years old, but it was so ingrained mm -hmm. in him. You, and, you know, and I, and I remember my grandfather. He got over it. My grandfather he died about ninety three, but I remember being in a store with him. But still, he he bumped into somebody and he said, mm -hmm. "Pardon me, sir." Mm -hmm. You know, it was just because he's from Jackson, Mississippi, right? And right. and it's just painful to see that, right? 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 And and on the on the other side overcoming these kinds of things because I tell this story all the time my mother who was who was who was brought up who was brought up in Indiana which was a, a racist place to be in the first place right. but East Chicago Indiana and she saw so much racism in her life including uh crosses burned on her mother's lawn in Eufaula, Alabama, because her mother was the only one who decided to leave the plantation and go to college. Right. And my, my grandmother had, I can't remember exactly how many siblings, she had five or six siblings. And she, and she decided, no, I'm going to go to college. And because she decided to leave the plantation, the, the, the plantation stopped picking cotton and go to college, they burned crosses on their land. 
And then later, my mother was, was the second of, of my grandmother's three children. The oldest was Eleanor. Her sister Eleanor was about three years older than her. And this was in 1934 because my mother was 10. My Aunt Eleanor was 13. And I have a picture of my grandmother and my Aunt Eleanor on their front porch. And it looked like they were probably going to church I can, by the way that they were dressed. Well, my Aunt Eleanor was 13. She was playing basketball in the gym, got hit with a basketball in the head. What today would be a minor concussion. Well, in the, in East Chicago, the East Chicago, Indiana, there were no black hospitals. They would not admit her to the white hospitals. By the time my grandparents got her into the car and tried to drive the 30 miles to Chicago. Now remember 30 miles in 1934 took a whole lot longer than it takes now. Uh, she had died. And so my mother was very, very, very cognizant of racial insensitive, racial things against us. And. She wasn't going to have it. She was not going to have it. And so, and then it was funny. I talk about how these things go along generations. When I was in college, I had, I took a year of college in Texas in the late sixties while the civil rights was going on. And they, and the way that I looked at the white people at that universe, at that university versus the way the black people who grew up in Texas and racist Texas, the, the, the white people didn't know what to do with me because I was not going to kowtow to them. They, I didn't, I, I, I didn't think they were better than me. And, and so, but it still goes on to this day. And so when we're talking about the massacres and the ramifications, they are decades that were decades later that mm-hmm. we are still feeling the effects and overcoming the effects right. of this. Right. Okay. Before mm-hmm. Lane, I, I think I forgot to read about the outcome of the Colfax massacre. Right. Okay. The outcome of the Colfax massacre, and just real quick, in case you forgot, it was it followed a disputed gubernatorial election in Louisiana, where white supremacist groups targeted black communities and their political allies, and a white mob attacked the courthouse where black residents were defending their rights. The outcome of that was that more than one hundred black people were killed, including those who surrendered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The massacre marked a turning point in Reconstruction. That's very important. Mm-hmm. As federal authorities failed to protect black citizens and white supremacists uh, regained political power. So that right, was the outcome. Right, right, right. In 1919 was the Elaine Massacre. Now, this was in Arkansas, where my father's family is from. And, and I'll talk about that in a second. And because in 1919, my father was born in 1920, by the way, racial tensions escalated after black sharecroppers organized to demand fair wages and better working conditions. A white mob attacked the sharecroppers and the violence spread across Phillips County, Arkansas. The outcome, the exact number of casualties is unknown, but estimates range from 100 to 800 black people killed. The massacre resulted in the suppression of black activism and and further entrenched racial inequalities in the region. And speaking of racial inequalities, this is why we have to, my father was born in 1920. He was the 12th of 13 children to my grandparents. So their children were born in the early, you know, from 1900, you know, all the way through 1920. In not, my father was an identical twin. In 1924, when they were four, my brother's, my, my, my father's twin brother stepped on a nail. They were outside playing. The ambulance came and saw they were black people and wouldn't take them to the hospital. They came and left. And again, by the time my grandparents on my father's side tried to get help for their, for their son, it was too late and he was dead. So that my father lost his identical twin brother because of that. And then 10 years later, my father's older sisters, so he had, two, well, he had several because he was 12 and 13, but two of his older sisters, beautiful, just beautiful women. One of them caught tuberculosis and gave it to the other and they both died. And this is because of the medical 
discrimination mm-hmm. and disparities mm-hmm. between whites and blacks. And this was in the 30s. And this was the impetus to my father becoming an infectious diseases specialist 10 years later when he was in college. So as we talk about these massacres and how they affected not the people around them in that in that general area, but also people from all the way through to today. Mm-hmm. My father wanted to be a doctor. His older brother was a doctor, but in the 40s, there were only so only a few slots available for black people to go to medical school. And when, the t- when it was time for my father to go to medical school, there weren't any slots left. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But you have to we, we just want you to remember, especially as people are trying to whitewash American uh, African-American history of the ramifications and the negative effects that go for decades and centuries because of these massacres. Mm-hmm. And the uh, next in, in 1898, we had the, the Wilmington insurrection, and the cause was a white supremacist group was fueled by poli- once again political and economic motives, launched a coup against the bi- biracial government of Wilmington. And you know that's unusual. North Carolina, yeah, North Carolina mm-hmm. biracial government, North Carolina. They targeted the black community and their white allies. The outcome of this was the coup resulted in the overthrow of the elected government, the destruction of Black-owned businesses and homes, and the deaths of an estimated 60 to 300 Black people. The event led to the implementation of Jim Crow laws and the disenfranchisement of Black voters. And one thing I also want to add about what we talk about, the importance of not allowing uh, Black history to be, mm-hmm. to be whitewashed and erased, is, is one thing I did a column not too long ago. And one thing I pointed out was that Earlier, when because there was a reason why the slave owners did not want the slaves to learn how to read, right? So mm-hmm. because they didn't want not want they did, the last thing they needed was a slave who was just up on current events as they were, right? You know, and knew the law and knew to protect, and they, that they that couldn't have that. Mm-hmm. They just wanted them to pick cotton, mm-hmm. so you had to keep them ignorant. The, well, then today, now that they're trying to turn the clock back, where they realize they can't put that genie back in the bottle. They can't stop kids from reading, but what they can do is control what they read. Right, and control and, what they read and what they and, learn. And what they learn. And, that, and, and not only that, back then, it was the fear of an educated black populace. Mm-hmm. What they're afraid of now is an educated white exactly, populace. Exactly, you know, because exactly. Because you know, what they're afraid of now is these young black kids, because they saw the Black Lives Matter marches and all these white kids. Right. Right. All around the world and in rural areas wearing, know, black, it's, lives, it's, it's wearing right. black Lives Matter t-shirts, which, and also is important to know that as much as they're trying to shut it down, kids have internet. Right. So they can right. find out what they want to right. find out. And but, it was funny because speaking of in white, here in Detroit, of course, we, especially after George mm-hmm. Floyd, there were a lot of marches and things like that. But there were also marches 30 miles away in these mostly white areas for the exact right. same thing. And that's what those... That's, that's what scares them to death because mm-hmm. when you have some little straw-haired white kid on in a farm town wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. Right. And they're marching down down the town square. Right. And then and it, plus it went on around the world. Right. They well they realized then we have to do something. Right. And because right. these kids are, are are they're getting they're not getting the message we want them to get. Exactly. And so, exactly. Because when they saw the black kids marching, they're not as nervous. I mean right. they're, they're bad, but when they start seeing white kids what are we supposed to do? Right. It's, a, it's somewhat similar to when there's a s- small parallel, but during the January 6th, when they saw the police officers. Right, right. And they said, you're supposed to be on our side. Right, when exactly. The, when they can't decide the sides, right, you know, right. then it gets to right. be a problem. And, and, and going back to North Carolina, today, 
People in North Carolina are fighting because the Republicans are trying to gerrymander, right. the, gerrymander the districts in North Carolina That's to right. favor the Republicans. And it's still going back and forth in the North Carolina Supreme Court and then back and forth to the, to the U.S. Supreme Court because the Voting Rights Act of 1965, mm-hmm. the Republicans and the, and, the, and the conservatives on the Supreme Court have just Picked away at it and picked away till it's almost nothing left, nothing left of it. And today, as we are recording this, it's October. I mean, it's August twenty sixth, and and August twenty eighth, Monday, is the sixtieth anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Justice. That was the name of it, March on Washington for Jobs and Justice. And so the march is because it's Saturday. It is today, and they want to remind people this is not a commemoration of the march of from sixty years ago, but a continuation because. 60 years later, we're still fighting the same fights that we were fighting when these massacres happened. Next one. Okay. And then uh, in 1923 was the Rosewood Massacre. And again, this is another massacre that some people had heard of, but not enough. Mm -hmm. I know, even though I had in my public school education... One of my teachers in fourth grade really taught us African, black history and African mm-hmm. history. But the rest of it I learned from my church, from my parents, and, and we got together as, as a group and taught each other this black history. And, and then, then the kids today, and I'm talking about the last 20 or 30 mm-hmm. years, this history was kind of taught, but now they're trying to erase it altogether as if it didn't happen. And if they can't erase it altogether, they're trying to change what happened. That's why there's, that's why, especially in Florida, they're trying to, cause this is Rosewood, this was in Florida. They're trying to say that the African Americans participated in the violence. Not that they were victims of the violence, but that they persi- participated as if, okay, yeah, white people, they're, they're at fault too. But don't, you black people, you're at fault too. No, 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 no. So the Rosewood massacre in 1923, again, it began after a false accusation of an assault by a white woman against a black man. The white mob attacked, attacked the predominantly black town of Rosewood, Florida. And just like we said, mm-hmm. just on a rumor, just on a rumor. And because all of this is to protect the, the purity of white womanhood. And so the, uh, the outcome, this violence in Rosewood resulted in the deaths of an unknown number of black residents and the destruction of the town. And the survivors were forced to flee again. Mm-hmm. That means flee, flee their homes yep. fl- that were left standing, flee, flee their properties. And the incident was largely covered up until, a, you know, just a couple of years, a few years ago and forgotten for decades. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the thing, too, is that you would think that if they were so if they felt they were so much in the right mm-hmm. you know, in Rosewood and in Tulsa Massacre. In I mean, Ocoee. That, yeah, and in Ocoee. I mean, in Tulsa, where they're actually using planes to right. bomb, bomb the Right. In, in, in Tulsa, in Tulsa mm-hmm. uh, that was in 1921. Mm-hmm. World War II was over in 1918. Mm-hmm. So in 1921. World War I. World War One. yeah. It was mm-hmm. over in 1918. And that was the first time planes were used in war. <laughs> so the pilots were used to. Are flying planes with bombs in them. Three years later, in 1921, was the first time ever planes attacked our own citizens, our own right, towns. Exactly. They used those planes with bombs to, to flatten the black neighborhood. Right. To, and I, and mm-hmm. I, and you would think what I started to say was, you would think 
if they got to the point where they felt like this was necessary, where mm-hmm. they had to use planes to destroy a black neighborhood, you must think you're in the right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, almost immediately. It was right. not like decades past where they were holding celebrations and saying, we destroyed the black neighborhood and we're so proud of it. <laughs> almost the minute the last bomb dropped, they're over here trying to cover it up like this thing never happened. Exactly. Well, why? Exactly. You thought you were doing the right thing. If you're doing the right thing, why are you so ashamed of it? All these things come up and they're trying to say it didn't happen. I said, well, no, you're supposed to be proud. You're doing what you think is right. Right, exactly. This this white woman was touched by a black man, so you destroyed a black neighborhood. Right. You're the one that says this is a proportional response. Right. Why are you now trying to, you know, erase it like it never happened? And And the Greenwood District became so proper so prosperous and it was called the quote unquote Black Wall Street because of discrimination. They couldn't, the, the black, and remember that this was, you know, in the early 1900s. And so these people were, were often children, formerly enslaved people. Okay. They got an education. They, they had, they were doctors and dentists and businessmen and all of that. And since they couldn't build, um, their businesses anywhere else, they came from all over the country to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was called the Greenwood District because that was one of the streets. And they built this prosperous black uh, black um, area. And when I say prosperous, I mean prosperous. And everything there was black. The the, te- the, the movie theaters, the homes, the businesses, the funeral homes. The doc- well, it had to be because they had no choice. It's like black bottom here. Exactly. And so, so there's doctors and, and lawyers and teachers and schools and churches and businesses. All within, and it was only a, it was, it wasn't that large of a district, but it was large enough. And white people just couldn't stand that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How how dare they come over here and act like they're as good as we are and actually have businesses and get rich? And the point is also is that when they, when they, they say, okay, you can live over here. Right. Uh, This is your district. Well, the idea is you're not supposed to prosper over there. Right, right. You're just supposed to live over there. Right. I mean, so once you start to prosper, that goes against the social contract. Right. So they say, well, no, we can't have that. That's why you notice. So unfortunately, because if you knew what with the uh, Native American reservation, right, okay, right, until the casinos, right, there was no prosperity, exactly. So, so they're not worried about it, exactly, you know, because exactly. they made sure, okay, they they're not going to be able to have, have this, you know, right. So they just keep, so they says so as long as you're not prosper, because when those casinos came, right, and they started making this money, they try every which way mm-hmm. to try and find a way. Okay, oh, now we have to start taxing, right. So this mm-hmm. is American land, right. and, 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 and 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 the indigenous had to fight because after all of the treaties were broken from the 19th century on, actually 18th century on, all of the treaties were broken. Then they were forced onto the reservation away from their homeland and their home areas under reservations. And and so it was decided the reservations are separate nations, separate from the United States. And so they have their own laws and and et cetera, and they are not taxed for the United States because they are technically not part of the United States until they started making money. money. That's right. Until (laughs) they started, that's exactly the Mm -hmm. point. And that's Mm -hmm. where they started. And they put, put them on the worst land, right? Before been able to to farm, mm-hmm. they said no. You know, white people need that. Yeah. So they so they changed all that. And so, like I said, that as soon as you start to prosper, as, they, as soon as things start to go your way, my mother used to always say that in the in the days when we had the uh, neighborhoods had to be you know, were all black, mm-hmm. you couldn't live in certain areas. So you had the doctors, you had the lawyers. So the kids had role models because they could see the doctor next right. to the lawyer. But at the same time, what my mother said was was that. 
too many of us tend to romanticize right. the period. You know, and say, well, we should go back to just, you know, all mm-hmm. back to the mom says, no, I lived in that. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know, That's right. It's, not, it's not all of what you right. cracked up to be. I and, mean, and, and, and bringing it again to today, in the tw- after the 2020 election, all of these states started having all of these uh, voter suppression acts. And one of the voter suppression laws was against the Native Americans and against the reservations saying, because they said that we can't use drop boxes. Well, in some of those areas in the reservations, they don't have home addresses. They all go to one place to get their mail. And so the the seg- the uh, voter suppression laws, they say, oh no, that can't count. That you, then, then you can't be counting. You can't vote like that. You have to have a, a, a ballot sent to your house. Well, their houses don't have addresses. That's so they, right. That's so, right. That's right. And, and, and everybody went to a central place to get their mail. And so they tried to say, well, then your vote's not going to count. And so that, that's another way from decades and centuries before that they're trying to use voter suppression to, to suppress the votes of people they don't think will vote for them. And so as we talk about this, we have to remember that all of this is intertwined. All of this is intertwined. And, it's, and even though we're talking about massacres from the 18th, from the 19th and 20th century, it is still, still going on. That's right. So that's all for this week. And a reminder that when you upgrade your Substack subscription to a paid level, you really help to support us on a financial level. You can also benefit us by visiting our website, Team Owens 313 GCC.com to see what we what we can offer you in our with our valuable products and services in the Global Creative Community Branding and Marketing Academy. And go to DetroitStoriesQuarterly.com to get the Detroit Stories Quarterly magazine. Right. And <clears throat> we'll be back next week. Yep. See you next week. Mm-hmm.